All right, what is up, guys? Welcome to the Tony and Dakota podcast. Today, we got another remote guest. This is Brian Sechetta. Did I say that right? Sechetta, yep. Chetta, he's owner and author of Get Out of Your Head, a brand and book series that seeks to help folks overcome anxiety and depression. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, pleasure to be here. So uh, when it comes to your brand, who who is it that you're targeting and what are you trying to help uh, those folks accomplish? Definitely. I think, you know, the the vague and less helpful answer is I'm obviously try, trying to target everyone or at least as many people as I can, because, you know, I'm on this mission to help folks overcome anxiety and depression. And so it's like, it, whether that's a man, a woman, a young person, an old person, I, I feel as though I have some strategies and insights that could help each each of those people. Uh, the more specific answer is like, obviously, obviously, if you look at my brand, if you read some of my stuff, uh, it will appeal to a certain audience more so than uh, other folks, right? So specifically, um, you know, it's it's mostly people around my age, so 20s, 30s, 40s, uh, tends to be more on the male side, but doesn't, you know, I've, I've also uh, interacted with a lot of uh, readers on the female side as well. I think it's more just my approach, uh, my insights, the way that I talk about things, right? It's like, it's a little bit more... Uh, I don't know. I've had some some female readers write like, hey, I love this book or I love the content, but like this is a guy's book, right? These are guys' stories, the way that you approach things, the way that you think about things. Um, not to say that we don't, you know, men and women don't have some commonalities, but there's a very male ethos in the brand and in the in the content itself. So that definitely comes through in the marketing. And again, I'd love to help as many people as I can, but when I'm trying to be targeted and focused, it's definitely that like 20 to 40, 20 to 50 male uh, band. Nice. Okay. That's awesome. Did you uh, um, experience some things in your past where you felt like you struggled with anxiety and depression, and then you used some tactical things that got you out of it? Or do you feel like you just, you know, found some natural things and you never really experienced it? Yeah. So, I mean, the the former, and that's really why the brand exists is, you know, struggled with anxiety and depression for about 10 years. And, you know, it's, it's funny because it's like, I'll talk to folks and sometimes I think the marketing world gives this perception that like, hey, you read this one book and you'll be cured of anxiety. You'll be cured of depression forever. Um in, in reality, I think a lot of these things, it's it's an, it's an a never-ending game, right? And I don't mean that in a, in a daunting sense. It's like, hey, it's a journey. Uh, you may like when you're 18, when I was 18, things were bad. My mind was not in the place that it needed to be. Uh, not That's not to say that I never deal with anxiety ever again. I never deal with depression ever again, but I have tactics and strategies for dealing with those things when they arise. And my perspectives are different now where it's like when they do come into play uh, or you know, when when my mental health is not where it needs to be, I'm not in that dark, dark place where it's like, oh my goodness, like everything's broken. I'll never get back to where I want to be, yada, yada, yada. Um, so basically the brand itself was me, you know, going on this mental health journey, trying out different strategies as I either came up with them on my own, excuse me, synthesized them from a book that I was reading or something like that, and tried basically went to different scenarios that made me anxious and tried out each of these strategies. And then also kind of the, you know, that's kind of the in the weeds 
tactical sort of stuff, but also I bring in that high level perspective of like, okay, this is what the journey looks like in general. Here's the perspectives that we want to bring to the battle. So um, because I'm not a clinician, because I'm not a doctor, I have to come at this from the angle of like, I am just like the reader. I am one of you. I'm here fighting this fight, fighting the good fight with you. And here are some of the things that I gleaned along the way. So one of the, uh, the prefaces that we'll use when we're trying to connect with people on our podcast is that everybody is just a kid from somewhere. How did you grow up and uh, what steps did you take in your life uh, as far as, you know, like, did you go to college? Did you, uh, did you go through some trauma and that sort of thing? Did you grow from it? Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I talk about it in both of my books. It's like, I've lived a fairly normal life. You know, I'm definitely, um, I'm lucky. I'm kind of in like a, the privileged class, if you will. I, I don't know what the right term is there, but like I got two great parents. I got a great brother, uh, you know, good family life. Didn't have anything too terrible happen to me. Uh, obviously like everybody goes through their ups and downs, but I'm fortunate in the sense that, you know, no crazy traumas and whatnot. I think, probably for me, it's more the genetic side of things where like mental illnesses run in uh, my family a little bit. And then also just some of the patterns, like whether whether the patterns are genetic or I uh, perpetuated them on my own, or maybe a combination of both, just like, you know, going through life and seeing that, hey, I'm in these certain situations, I feel this kind of way, um, whether that's anxious or depressed. And obviously, it's like when you deal with that much despair, you're like, I got to figure out how to, how to resolve this, how to get back to normal, healthy functioning. Um, I, I guess kind of, I'll kind of drop a, uh, a large one on you, which is like, I don't know if, if you've talked about psychedelics on the podcast or if you want to, uh, kind of just a teaser though. Like I did a, a psychedelic retreat in January, um, that kind of showed like, it showed me a lot of things about myself and really helps you zoom out and get perspective on like, not necessarily your trauma, but like the things that you repress, the the sort of the, the shadows um, in your life and, and helps you come to terms with them. And that was one of those things where it's like, oh, this is all making a lot more sense now. Like you're, you're able to like zoom out past yourself and be like, this is the reason for some of the struggles. Uh, I am now, you know, looking back and saying like to that kid, right. You mentioned everyone is just a kid who has like grown up or whatever. It's like, I'm now looking back at that kid and saying like, it's okay to have struggled. Like a lot of people go through these sorts of things. Um, just bringing that overall sort of conversation, uh, to my works in general. That's a, that's a key point. Was that um, like in Peru or like Amazon? Was it like an ayahuasca ceremony? Yeah. So that was an ayahuasca ceremony. There's actually a place in Orlando um, that has a religious exemption for running these retreats. Uh, And you can go, you sign up. It's, you know, it's, it's not cheap, but um, it's a professional place where, you know, I, I, I always like to say to folks on these podcasts or in conversations, like these are heavy drugs. The experiences are very intense. Uh, by no means should you do these on your own, uh, you know, in your house or anything like that. You should go to a place where there are trusted folks uh, that are watching over you and have done this sort of thing before. Um, so the place is called Soul Quest. Like if you are interested, you know, they get a website uh, and some online presence. Um, definitely check it out. But obviously, like, be careful, uh, know what you're in for, do some research and and follow their recommendations. They ask that you, you know, adhere to a strict diet, get off of street drugs and alcohol and all that sort of stuff. So it's really important to do that, uh, not only for like safety purposes, but also the ceremony itself will be less difficult. Um, if you, uh, at least that's, that's what everybody says, uh, if you adhere to the guidelines. 
Awesome. Yeah, we're going into we're going into a lot there. I want to back up and then we'll go back to your experience sure. with uh, with ayahuasca. So let's go back again to what is depression? Like, can you define that? What that means for you? Because a lot of times, you know, you said there wasn't anything traumatic or you know anything like that. You grew up really great then people usually experience depression as like an event and then something happens and then you continue to build on that. But what would be your definition of like what depression and anxiety actually is? Yeah. So I guess take them one by one. Right. And I just, just because I think, um, well, in order of my books, right. The first book is on anxiety. The second one is on depression. So, uh, we'll go in that order. So anxiety is basically uh, future oriented fear, right? It's a feeling of fear that doesn't necessarily have to do with anything that's taking place in front of us today. Uh, so the example that I that I like to give is if fear is you being in the woods uh, and a bear crossing your path and you being terrified in that moment, anxiety is the metaphorical idea of you thinking about crossing uh, paths with a bear in the future, right? So it's like, maybe that thing isn't here today, but the idea or the notion of it is bringing you a lot of angst right now, a lot of negative feelings. Um, depression is a pervert, per, uh, I guess, let me frame it a little bit better. Uh, to move on to the definition of depression, uh, I would call that more of a pervasive state of helplessness and hopelessness. And the funny thing, I mean, you know, it's like, there are so many different ways that we can feel anxious. There's so many different ways that we can feel depressed. Uh, in my second book, which is called Get Out of Your Head, Volume 2, Navigating the Abyss of Depression, uh, I tried to take a, a holistic approach to the disease and basically look at all the different factors that can play into us feeling hopeless, helpless, and feeling depressed. Um, so if we look at, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, jumping around and there's a lot of different angles here that we could talk about, but it's like, if you look at the holistic um, view of depression, you could say, uh, we could look at like a, um, basically a specific framework for diagnosing or, um, sort of stating where depression, mental illnesses, various other illnesses come from. Um, so one of those models is called the biopsychosocial model. So, uh, it's sort of a portmanteau of like three different words. So, uh, you know, bio is the biological psycho is the psychological and social is is really just its own word, uh, social there. But so it's like, there's three different buckets into which, um, you know, things can arise in our lives that cause trouble. So it's like, when we're talking about depression, biological could mean the way that we use our bodies, the food that we eat, the vitamins that we do or don't get. Um, it could also mean like our, our genetics, right? Uh, psychological uh, would, would be more around our thoughts and our beliefs. And then social is kind of everything else, our friendships, where we live, uh, the job that we hold, um, relationships that we have and whatnot. And so the theory that I wanted to put forth in my second book was basically the notion that um, even though we definitely can become depressed when a specific event takes over in our lives, uh, that's certainly not the only way. It could be a combination of, you know, all three of those buckets, like issues with all three of them. It could also be any one of them falling out of line in a, in a dramatic fashion. Um, and so it's like, you know, I don't want to simplify things too much, but it's like, if, you know, if, if we just look at the psychological, right, maybe nothing necessarily has to happen in our lives. That's all too bad. But if we are thinking, constantly thinking the wrong thoughts, if we are believing, uh, you know, things that don't empower us, maybe even depress us, right? We're, we're probably going to feel depressed. Um, so there's a lot of things we could talk about there. And that's, you know, why I wrote an entire book on the subject. But high level, uh, I think that's that's a solid intro. 
Have you been thinking about investing in real estate? It's not like what you see on HGTV. We created a course to show you how to really invest and create a profitable flipping and wholesaling business. We give you marketing strategies like how to pull lists, who we target, and where we find the money. We go over sales, which includes live calls and negotiations, scripts, role-playing, and so much more. Everything that you need to know to flip houses is in this course. And if there's anything that we missed, we will create a video to answer your specific question. This knowledge has made us over a million dollars and we're selling it today for just $997. Click the link below. I like it. So give us three tips for each that you would just like say, or like the big overview, because obviously you'd go really in depth. Like you said, you wrote an entire book on this thing. So what would you say are the top three things that people can do for struggling with anxiety and top three things for struggling with depression that you can do that are actually going to implement those? Maybe one from each category or however you want to do it. Sure. Yeah. So um, to frame this one in one, like talking about anxiety, what I'd like to describe is how in my first book, um, the, the first half of that book is uh, I present a framework of 10 different steps uh, that we can utilize when we're already feeling fearful or anxious in order to mitigate some of those negative emotions. Um, so I usually just pick a few off of that list uh, during podcasts like this one. Um, so if we go down that list, uh, I'm going to see if I can jump into a few that are that I don't talk about all the time. Um, so this one is interesting because it's like, uh, it does go slightly against some of the things that I talk about, and I'll and I'll explain what I mean here. But so um, the, the the ten step list is called the ten steps to getting out of your head. Again, it's it's in the first half of my first book, um, and so step two on that list is determine the true importance of what's making you anxious. And so the funny thing about this step is like. Uh, you know, my brand is called get out of your head. And the notion is like a lot of the fears that we build up in our minds are products of the fact that we think in a certain fashion. And so if we're instead of, you know, chewing over those fears and trying to solve our way through them, what we often need to do is put them down entirely, like go for a walk, um, throw ourselves into creative work, uh, engage in some sort of like meditative breathing or something like that. It can also be helpful to think things through in a different capacity, not necessarily in one a way in which we say like, I'm going to solve something, but a way in which we reframe our problems and then look at them and say like, okay, I now see this in a different light and that's going to help me with my anxiety. So uh, when it comes to this specific step, like determine the true importance of what, what's making you anxious means sometimes we can like our we can blow our fears out of proportion or extrapolate them to the point at which like what we are dealing with in our minds is not the same thing that we are dealing with in the real world or in our lives right so um the reason that i included this one on the list was to say like you know sometimes it feels as though it, it let's say we're going to a job interview right if we have thought about that job interview too too much we may look back or we may kind of you know get our feet under us and say oh my goodness, I feel as though if I don't get this job offer, if the job interview goes poorly, it is the end of my life, right? And being able to step back and say, let me take a few quick breaths, reframe this, and then look at it again. Sometimes we can get that perspective to say like, look, yeah, maybe this job interview is scary and that's okay. But at the same time, if it goes poorly, like I'm not saying it's going to be easy to find another place to find employment or you know if that was my dream job I'm I'm not saying I'm not going to be disappointed but I'm going to live right like uh, so getting that reframe is definitely helpful um I went a little long on that one so why don't I just do one more on, on anxiety then we can jump into depression um and so I guess uh another one that I don't talk about all that often on podcast is step 10 which is remembering uh that this too shall pass and so it's sort of like 
you know, sometimes we look at our problems and we think like they are pervasive, they are permanent. Um, I think as you get older and you gain some of that wisdom, you realize like the only thing that's permanent in life is the thought of permanence itself, right? Like everything changes all the time. Um, and so being able to step back and say to yourself, like, look, even though this is difficult, even though what I'm dealing with right now is not something that I enjoy, uh, I can tell myself, like, not only is it okay, but it's going to pass eventually. Uh, and being able to reassure ourselves in those kinds of fashions is very important when it comes to anxiety, because it's like anxiety is basically, um, you know, a, a product of the fight or flight nervous system in our bodies, right? It's this revving up this sort of like emergency response system, anything that we can do to reassure ourselves kind of tells our body, sends our body this message that, Hey, like it's what we're dealing with is okay. And as a result, we can turn, you know, the, like we're telling our bodies to turn that emergency response system down a little bit. Uh, and with that comes like, you know, the either reversal or mitigation of some of our anxious symptoms. So. I like it. Cool. Uh, I know we're going fast and hitting a lot of stuff, um, on the depression side, like, I guess a couple quick ones, right. Is, um, the and again, I'll re I'll kind of frame this one in as well. When it comes to depression, I think it's difficult. Like you know, it's very rare that. Uh, I, I, let me step back for a second. With anxiety, I'm not saying that it's like we can always snap our fingers and not be anxious, but I do think that anxiety can tend to be a bit more acute than depression, right? Like when people talk about depression, they say like it's this big black gray cloud hanging over me all the time. If that's the case, like it's it's hard to just move that cloud. Whereas like sometimes we're anxious about a job interview, a first date or something like that. And once that that event on the calendar comes to pass, or if we just kind of see it in a new light, it's like, okay, maybe I'm not feeling so fearful anymore. Uh, that's not to say that it's, you know, just not to trivialize it or anything like that. Just to say that like depression, I think warrants a little bit more of a high level perspective uh, in philosophy in the sense that it is hard to change that state, right? When, because it's pervasive, uh, it takes more to get ourselves out of that place of hopelessness. So I think I will leave the philosophical stuff to listeners if they want to grab my second book uh, and dive into that. But some of the like brass tacks or like in the moment strategies that we can uh, pick up when it comes to depression. So two that are like, I don't know, quick and easy, or maybe not easy, but they are more implementable, right? Uh, so the first one is just like, uh, uh, following a, uh, a regimented exercise plan. Uh, there's a lot of science out there that shows that following a plan like that can be just as effective, possibly even more effective than psychotropic drugs. Um, that is not like, you know, I, I, I do a lot of disclaimers in my podcasts. Like that is not to say, you know, come off your medication or anything like that. Uh, please, like if you're working with a, a therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist, doctor, please follow their advice. It's just to say that like, we want as many weapons as we can get in this fight. Um, and so like, let's pick that one up, right? Like go, go for a walk every morning, 30 minutes, go for a run, lift some weights, whatever, whatever exercise we, you know, calls to us, like let's, I think it's worth, um, picking something like that up and, and sticking to a schedule because not only does it help us feel good, but like we might also get some enjoyment out of whatever it is, right? If it's like playing tennis, playing basketball, something like that, um, we're looking for any way to like, like 
pierce that that dark cloud, right? To like find, just open up a small enough hole that we can wedge our foot through and then eventually crack the door open. I know a <laughs> bunch of different metaphors there, but that's kind of the philosophy. Um, I would say the second strategy for dealing with depression, and this one is interesting. Uh, uh, it's not really for the lighthearted. And honestly, there's days where I'm like, I, I don't want to do this either. But there's also some research out there that shows that taking a cold shower um, can be beneficial in uh, in like alleviating depressive symptoms the science there kind of comes down to evolution. It's like over the years we were trained to, you know, jump into cold bodies of water, evade predators, hunt fish and stuff like that. And so it's like, when we get into a cold shower, uh, the, the thought is maybe we're sending messages to our brains, like, Hey, we're doing those same sorts of activities that promoted our survival in the past. Um, so again, that's a lot of information. I'm going to pause there and see what other questions you guys got, but uh, solid overview, I think on the two diseases there. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder, uh, I can't remember if it was like the Dalai Lama or who said this, but he was saying uh, depression happens when you're focused on the past and anxiety happens when you're focused on the future. Our subconscious mind can't tell the difference between something that we imagine, you know, like a negative outcome of something that's going to happen in the future. And so the result is that you feel it in your biology because your subconscious mind doesn't know that it's fake that it's something that you created or generated from your imagination. Um, and when I was thinking about that, uh, it also made me think of like, there's a, a seminar that uh, Dakota and I just brought to Fort Wayne not too long ago uh, that talks about the realm of now, the thing that happened to you, and then the realm of meaning, because ultimately humans assign their own meaning to events that occurred. They developed a belief about themselves and ultimately when you become aware of the belief that you created and you understand that uh, it's, it's your responsibility, it actually empowers you. Um, so when you assign, when, when you become aware that you're the one who assigned the meaning to the event then the event doesn't have as much ownership over you anymore. Most definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a, a tricky thing or a, a challenging thing, right? I think one, changing that meaning. It's like, sometimes those events are like, they are woven into our DNA, right? Trauma, we, for no like fault of our own, we hold on to it. It gets embedded in our bodies. And sometimes it takes a lot, a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of therapy, um, interventions and whatnot to change that meaning. Um, and I'm not, again, I'm not like trying to trivialize any of the difficulties that we endure, but you do bring up a great point in saying that like, if we are able to change that meaning, that event changes for us, right? And then the way we look at it and the things we're going to do about it also change. So that's that's definitely an important part of the puzzle. Um, and it's you know it's also funny. It's like I don't know, I don't know if I'm jumping in too far here or whatever. But like I'm a big big believer in personal responsibility. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are things that are out of our control, um, and there are also things that are really hard to change. But it's like the serenity prayer, right? Of figuring out what you have the power to control or influence, and and knowing the difference between what you do and what you don't. But also like taking self-ownership and saying like, look, yeah, the government isn't against me. My town isn't against me. My family isn't against me. Or even if they are like, it's up to me. Like my life is, you know, to a large degree up to me. Um, I think that's an important, a really important piece of the conversation, uh, because especially if we lose sense of responsibility, then we lose sense of uh, agency. And when we lose sense of agency, you know, we feel helpless and, and helpless is really sort of another name for depression. So all good threads there. Yeah. What would you say is the, the easiest way to help somebody change that story? I actually just had somebody 
uh, email me last night. How do I change my story? I understand now that I created this story in my life and I put up roadblocks because I never want that happen again. And so they've created this whole thing where like they're going to continue to not do that thing or whatever they think caused that thing. And realistically, that might not be necessarily what did cause it, but now they've created this story and the reason why. So how do you change the story about the event? Yeah, I, I do think it's difficult. Like, uh, I'm not going to sit here and be like, you know, you can snap your fingers and change the story. Um, obviously, like, there's a reason people go to therapy for years. There's a reason that, you know, people are interested in psychedelic uh, journeys and trying to uh, uncover things about themselves. All of those are different modalities by which you can change the story. Whether or not that is required, I I don't think so. Um, you know, sometimes it it could just take like a lot of inner inner work, right? Difficult introspection and saying like, hey, you know, journaling and saying, this is what I used to interpret this event as. This is what I now see it as. And here's my plan for moving forward. I think the probably the most difficult thing about change the, the, the process of changing the story is like, how do you get it to stick, right? It's like, we can all go to a seminar, jump up and down, feel good and be like, my life is totally changed. And then a week later, we're like, oh, wait, I'm, I'm back to where I was. Um, so I don't necessarily have a great answer on that front. I think it's more just like creating a compelling enough narrative for yourself that, you know, it pulls you forward into a life that is uh, rewarding for you, right? It's like, if you look at a specific event and you have a certain interpretation of it, uh, yeah, maybe it gives you pain or something like that. But if there isn't an impetus to change, then you probably won't. So it's really being able to sit down with yourself, whether it's like, you know, again, through journaling or with a therapist or on a psychedelic experience or something like being able to find that piece of wisdom that forces you to change, right? It's almost getting leverage over yourself. And there's a lot of different ways that we can do that. Uh, unfortunately, they're not like necessarily cut and dried. Yeah, I love it. I'll say I, my advice to her was like, just Think about if the story that you're telling yourself now is actually serving you or helping you, or it's holding you back from where you're trying to go. And then you can tell yourself a new story that can empower you. And it can also be true as well. So you can have those, but you have to really like look for truth in the situation and try to find out what is the truth about actually what happened. And then again, you can change that story and create whatever you want. Instead of it hurting you, you can actually have, have it help you because the only truth is the event that happened. Again, like the story that we tell ourselves is not true. That's just the meaning that we're taking from it. So that's, was my advice. It's like, okay, lay out what is true about this situation and then decide what you want to believe after that. That's actually going to help you more. So yeah, I absolutely. What, when, uh, that seminar that I was talking about that we just brought to Fort Wayne is called PSI. And one of the leaders, uh, basically, that's mostly mental and emotional. So some of it's logical, some of it's more subconscious work. But uh, one of the things that she told me, I was like, I'm I'm here to change my uh, belief that I'm not good enough that I got from my dad. And she's like, you can't, you'll never change that. That story or like that meaning that you created from the, that event, you'll never change. What you can figure out is how to repurpose it, how to reframe it and turn it into something positive for your life. So the benefit to me for believing that I'm not good enough is that I want to be an achiever. If I already had produced enough, achieved enough, done enough for my father to love me uh, regardless, you know, that was my belief. My dad already loved me regardless. But my belief was that I'm not good enough for my dad. Therefore, I have to be an overachiever, produce, create, and I love myself for being able to step into that and 
you know, create a vision and accomplish things. So, you know, there are multiple other beliefs that I've been able to reframe, but her, her, uh, you know, thesis was that you can't change it as much as you want to change the belief. You can't change it. You have to change, uh, repurpose it and figure out, you know, how it serves you to believe it, even if it seems negative. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely like the approach, I guess. Uh, I might not necessarily be as adamant about like, you can't change it. I would more just say like, number one, like what else can you focus on and why does it matter to focus on, you know, not being enough is like, there's obviously something more to the story, right? There's, uh, if you went to therapy, if you did a psychological, you know, a, a good enough psychedelic retreat, like you would dig deeper and see what's really going on there. Um, I think when it comes to like shifting focus, thinking about something else, right. It's like, a lot of the research shows that like when people go out and say, I just want to be happy, how do I find happiness? It's like the question itself almost predicates itself on you not being happy. So the more that you ask it, like you're never kind of getting to that place that you want. A lot of people, uh, you know, kind of following up to that. It's like a lot of people then find that, you know, if you want to be happy, you don't ask like, how do I be happy or anything like that? You go do things that make you happy and you kind of like, let go of that original question or the original seeking, right? It's like, you just go generate happiness in your life. And obviously like, it's so, that's so oversimplified. Um, and sometimes maybe not necessarily a hundred percent helpful, but I guess in response to what you were talking about with the seminar of somebody saying like, I'm not good enough, whatever. It's like, if somebody goes out into the world and says, how do I be good enough? Right? Like the, the thought is always surrounded by this lack of, of, you know, like, uh, uh, what's the right word? Just not not being enough, right? Um, uh, insufficiencies or something like that. And so it's like when I'm talking about shifting focus, it's like rather than and and again, obviously there's there's probably some some soul work to do there, uh, to, so that way we don't come back to that question again and again and again. But at the very least, what we could do is just say like, as you were saying, Tony, rather than being like I'm not enough, just go out and do things that make you feel as though um, you know you're fulfilled or you are. Um, doing whatever it is your soul calls you to do. And then that way it's like, no, like I have all this evidence over here that I don't even need to ask that question anymore. Are you letting deals fall through the cracks because you don't have good systems in place? We've been there before and we've tried several different CRMs and Ari Simply has been the best. Ari Simply tracks your KPIs, does automatic follow-ups for you, and even records your incoming phone calls. The system is simple to use and has more features than we even know what to do with. If you're looking for a great CRM, try RE Simply today. We put the link in the description. Check it out now. Something that you kind of mentioned just there too, like by talking about fulfillment, uh, I think Jordan Peterson said this, and I've already quoted it a handful of times, so I won't quote it again. But if the focus on ha is on happiness, then you're not going to end up being happy. The, the humans need to experience a full range of emotions. Your focus should be on meaning, what is meaningful to you. And then happiness comes with that, you know? Definitely. I, I couldn't agree more. And it's also one of those like cold, hard truths where it's like, yeah, life is difficult, man. Um, I, I think it would be dishonest to say to ourselves that like, you know, we can find happiness all the time. I think the truth is we can find it. Um, it's, it may be, you know, it might not necessarily be there every waking moment of our lives, but a full human experience, as you as you mentioned, Tony, is like, 
it's it's the full range of emotions and sometimes that is difficulty and um and sometimes sometimes that is pain but like at the same time those emotions do amplify the other positive feelings right it's like if you you know uh, it's like if we want to discover meaning and it's like okay i'm going to find meaning through creating this business and changing all these people's lives and affecting uh the community and whatnot it's like in order to do that we have to struggle we have to put in the work uh, what, you know, whatever connotation we, we assign to that, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be hundred percent negative. Some people love to work. I like to work too. Um, but at the same time, I think that, uh, it's like, if we just said, Hey, snap your fingers and that business is created, you've changed all these people's lives. It's like the meaning you get from that, the joy, the happiness you get from that, the fulfillment that wouldn't be there. Right. That like those, the, the negative and the positive have to almost, uh, stand in opposition to one another. So that way, like on a relative, on a relative basis, we can say, Oh, that was over here. This is over there. And that's why I feel as good as I do. Cause I have something to compare it to. Yeah. So, uh, I have a, a fun, uh, question challenge for you, Brian. How did you, uh, get that gnarly logo and, and did your ayahuasca ceremony inspire that or what's <laughs> no i wish i wish it did um that came before the the ceremony um i have a friend behind you too for the for the viewers who don't know it's on it's that framed picture behind of you there with yeah the... so i call that the uh the snake brain logo um i have a friend who is a very talented designer and uh basically after i wrote my first book we were thinking about like okay where do i take my journey next Obviously, like this is, uh, I want to make this like a brand rather than just like a one-off book. And so we sat down and he, he, he had already read the book and he's like, how do we get the, the message of the, the logo and the brand itself to line up with the content? Right. And so at the beginning of the conversation, when you said like, who am I trying to appeal to and market to and whatnot? Um, I, I would, I would assume that a, a logo like that is going to appeal to a certain audience, right? I would say probably less fewer females than males, uh, probably slightly younger than older. Um, but that was like, you know, we sat down, we thought about personas and, and people that, you know, it's like, what is the content like my books and blogs? Who does that appeal to? What messages do, does all that stuff convey? And then what, how do we wrap that up in an icon in a logo in a brand itself and an identity that speaks to all of it and makes it cohesive. And then also pulls people in. So long, long winded answer, uh, condensed into a shorter one is just, you know, I've, uh, my friend who's a great designer, um, we went through this process and kind of iterated and iterated and that's what we stumbled upon. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wish I had some really cool, like, you know, psychedelic journey, uh, story around the brand, but he just made it on his own. He's super, uh, super talented. And obviously with, with the input of the content and, and my feedback itself, but yeah, that was kind of the story there. That's awesome. So I, I heard you say a couple things. Uh, so I'm curious. So you said things like uh, this too, this too shall pass. You said fighting the good fight. Um, and those are both kind of quotes out of the Bible. So what is your uh, religious belief? Yeah, I mean, it's something that I struggle with. It's like uh, I was raised Catholic. Um, I, I think it's like on my good days, I believe, you know, I believe in God. I believe in a higher purpose. I believe in a higher spirit the exact manifestation of that. I don't necessarily know what that looks like. Um, I do kind of believe that like maybe all of the religions could be kind of getting at the same threads and saying it in different ways. And for me, it's just like for my mental health, like I need to believe things like that. Um, so that's kind of how I approach things. 
you know, don't go to church that frequently. I think it's helpful when I go a sense of community, uh, sense of meaning and whatnot. Um, I tried not to make it like a massive part of my content in general, but when you're talking about depression and the rise of, you know, nihilism and meaningless and uh, meaninglessness and atheism across the world and in the, in the country and whatnot, it's like, you have to address that, right? It's like, if you don't have a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning, if, if, if you feel as though, you know, life is meaningless or whatever, like that is a, that is a very prominent entryway into depression. Um, so for whatever, you know, one reason or another, it's like, I consider myself semi-religious um, at the very least, like very spiritual. Do I know exactly what all that means? Not really, but like for the most, you know, most of my life, I just kind of live my days as normal. And I, I, I don't question it too much, if that makes sense. Gotcha. I was going to say, uh, you know, what you thought about, you know, I want to go back to ayahuasca then, and just like how you feel about that. Cause like a lot of people, uh, call that like a gateway to the gods or like to a different realm. Um, and so what you experienced in that experience, then I was going to ask if you were a Christian, you know, how that goes along with being sober of mind and, you know, not letting your mind go or anything. Yeah, because I, I feel similar to you as far as my beliefs, Brian, um, but Dakota is uh, significantly more Christian and is, you know, believes in Jesus Christ, has a Bible study, that sort of thing. I sometimes go to the Bible study for that sense of community and that sort of thing. Uh, but if you get really into uh, the Bible and you study it pretty well, it suggests that you shouldn't open yourselves up to like what you know you would probably call the fourth dimension uh because you could be influenced by other other beings so in a spiritual way it's sort of like be very careful to do that i think dakota is still open to potentially doing some sure. sort of spiritual experience but at the same time it's terrifying because it's like man this if this goes against what i believe then maybe it doesn't serve me to experience it although like we know that there's something beyond ourselves and so yeah definitely i i think that um i mean number one it's like i i'm very respective of everybody's beliefs it's like uh i don't i don't cast any judgment uh as as long as like your beliefs are reasonable right if it's your if it's your like hey uh I, you know i'm god and everybody else is a peasant and like you know whatever right uh, obviously that that doesn't make sense but um if you treat people with respect and whatever it's like whatever uh you believe in i'm i'm very respectful of that i also think that you bring up a good point tony where it's like um you know doing psychedelics is not trivial it's um it's it's very scary. Um, you know, a lot of the emotions that you expose yourself to when you do them can be extremely distressing. And whether that is a product of, you know, whether, whether the Bible says like, Hey, don't do them for this reason or that reason, whether it's like exposing yourself to different entities or, uh, emotions or whatever, like that's a, I, I think that that's a personal call, right? If, if you say, Hey, this is what I believe. Um, and what I believe says that you shouldn't do that, then you shouldn't do that. Right. There's no, there's nothing saying, uh, there's nothing that says anywhere in the world that it's like, everybody has to go have this experience. Um, you know, it's like, I, I would imagine, uh, that it's like, you know, even as a practicing Christian Catholic, whatever, it's like, you can still have wonderful relationships with people. You can derive meaning out of that. You can share your stories with those people. You don't have to necessarily, uh, you know, do a psychedelic experience. What either whether you do or don't want to, or whether you know your um, beliefs say you should or shouldn't. So I'm not here to cast any judgment on that. I think 
all this stuff is a personal decision for people. And I, you know, just on the religious like thread, I think it's really important um, to have a strong foundation, uh, strong beliefs and, uh, you know, a, a structure of your life, right? I think a lot of people, uh, for one reason or another, whether it's like no religion, no school, no community or something, a lot of us are missing that. And that, again, that's, uh, it becomes a strong entry point into depression and, and mental illness. And uh, I feel for people in that regard, because it's, it's difficult, man. And it's like, uh, I'm not here to tell people what they should or shouldn't believe. But it's like, I do, I, I am here to tell you, like, you need some structure, you need some guidance. And however you get that is really important for your, you know, your psychological welfare. Yeah. So let's talk about what you experienced uh, during your ayahuasca. Did you experience any thing that you would call like, you know, a spiritual being or anything or what was your experience yeah it was pretty wild um so it, you're it's hard to describe in the sense that like you are you are kind of like journeying through your psyche right so it's like whatever is in there whether it's repressed or you're thinking about it right now or something like it'll probably come up in some capacity uh, I will say at the same time that like it feels as though they call them medicines like uh the medicine has an agenda of its own so you may go in and say like okay, uh, show me how I'm going to make $10 million. Uh, it doesn't like, you know, the, the spirit or whatever you're talking to, uh, does not care about necessarily what you say there. It's like, it shows you probably what you need to see. Um, so it was like, I, at the beginning of my journey, I was like getting these strong and you, you just get these like vibes, intuitions, whatever. I was like getting these like strong feelings of like my parents being in trouble, and I was like, what, you know, what is going on? They were like, you have to let go of your parents. And I was like, like, I was very, very unsettling. I was like, I'm very close with my parents. They're wonderful people. Um, have taught me a lot of things over the years. Right. And it was like, I was like, oh, I don't even understand. Uh, they said, is it saying that they, they're sick, dead? Like, I, I don't get it. Like I have to let go of them. What does that even mean? And uh, at one point, like I popped up, uh, so you're on like a mat at this place. I popped up on my mat and I was like, this is just like way too much. Like I'm overwhelmed here. I don't know what it's trying to tell me or whatever. Um, and eventually like, so uh, the the experience itself for, I would say 99% of people, like it's, you experience it when you close your eyes. So you don't, most people don't see things uh, with their eyes open. It's sort of like a, a, a dream state while you are awake with your eyes closed. Uh, so eventually I was like, all right, um, you know, I was trying to control the experience a little bit and that's why I popped up. I went back down on my mat and closed my eyes. And there was a lot like, you know, there's, there's different segments of the journey. So there's parts where you're just seeing colors and stuff like that in shapes. Um, but this specific part, it was like, I went back into it. Um, and it was, it was just like, it really was wild. Uh, like I had sort of an out of body experience where like I saw, I saw myself like fly out of the cabin that I was in and, and we went up somewhere into like the cosmos, like the stars or whatever. And when I got up there, there was like uh, these two orbs of light or like two orbs of energy. And they, they weren't my parents, like in the sense that like, they didn't look my, like my parents, but I knew it was them. Um, and so they were kind of like, we're going to take you on this journey and show you like what you need to see. Uh, a lot of, and so it was like, there was a few different messages there. I, I you know, I, I think the entire journey is probably a little too long for the, for the show here, but it, the, the, I'd say the, the, the overall messages, one was like, it was this hard truth of like, you know, you need to, and, and it's, it is, um, it is nuanced. It's not like I was like, you know, living at home, no friends, no drive, no, nothing like that. But it was like, it was like, look, dude, like you have to grow up you have to become your own man. And it's like, they were kind of showing me, they were like, in a way, you kind of like live 
under our shadow, right? Like almost like this, like extended aspect of childhood where like the letting go is that is like, you know, getting yourself settled, like getting yourself in a relationship, like trusting in your partner, um, that sort of stuff. That was one of the overwhelming messages. And it's weird. Cause like sometimes, uh, they would directly say that stuff. And, and other times it would be more visual stuff that you then process later on. So like one of the parts of it was like, my parents, it was so weird. We were like in a, it, it kind of felt like a video game level. And it was like these different platforms, like going up and down, but like kind of each one of them was, would get you higher and higher. And my parents were kind of like there and like, I, I again, I don't know, like, it's like, I don't know uh, if it was a metaphorical thing or if they actually, but it was like, they were like kind of holding my hand and then being like, okay, you're at the platforms. Like, here you go. Like off you go, if that makes sense. Um, and then they, you know, they helped me with, uh, one of the part they were like, man, it was, it was, uh, it was crazy. Like, <laughs> uh, they, th there was another part where it was like, you know, and, and it, it's so weird. Cause it's like to a listener, this might just sound very normal or something like that, like what I say, but like when you integrate it into your own experience and you know, your own history and whatnot, it's like, holy crap, that was profound. Um, they were like, we want you to find love. And I'm like, what the heck does that even mean? Right. And they took me through all these different avenues of like how I could find love. And a few of those are, are ways that scare me, um, like fears that I have. Right. And so when I say you dig up your psyche, uh, it basically was like bringing things up and saying like, Hey, you know, this is one way that you could find love. And like, you know, for example, like, um, you know, I've had, I've had like sexual anxiety throughout my life. And, you know, I, I would say an overlap of both, you know, the mental health in general, but also just like self-questioning. It's like you grow up in the world and like, you're worried that, you know, you may be straight, you may be gay, something like that. Uh, and no judgment on, on, on any of that stuff, but it's like, I've always known how I want to live my life. And it's scary to think that like, Hey, maybe like, maybe I'm wrong or something like that. Right. So, you know, it was, it was wild. Like my, in, in the journey, my dad was like, this is how you're going to find love. Like, you know, with this guy. And I'm just like, and again, no, no, I'm not casting judgment. Like however somebody lives their life is how they live their life. But for me, that was never how I intended to live my life. And I was just like, oh my goodness, they brought me here to show me like that I'm gay or something. Right. And I was, I was just like, oh my God, like I I've been denying this my whole life. I'm so afraid, yada, yada, yada. And, and like my parents are just like in, in the vision, they're just like so stern. Right. And they're like, yep, this is it. And I was like, okay, I guess, I guess that's what it is. Like, I, I can't believe it, but I guess that's what it is. <laughs> and then my dad starts cracking up and I'm like, dude, what, what, like, what are you, what are you laughing at? And he's like, did you really think I brought you here to show you that? And I'm like, what? And he's like, dude, I'm messing with you. And so we went down all these avenues and it was kind of like the way I interpret it was like, he showed me the way that my mind works, like the way that my mind tricks me. Right. And the way that my anxiety comes up. And eventually it's so weird. Cause like, I, it's, it's still hard to make sense of some of it. Right. Eventually we got to a point where it was like, this is how you will find love. And they showed me this vision and it's like, I don't know what to do with that or make sense of that right now, because it's not like I go home and I'm like, oh yeah, I just go to McDonald's. I order the number two and I found love. Right. It's like, I, there's still a lot of things for me to work out and figure out there. But in general, like, I mean, it was a very, very moving experience and kind of helped me work through a lot of my own demons. Um, and I don't know, I mean, I'm sure I rambled a little bit, but that was the overall experience. And I'll tell you, it was pretty crazy. Wow. 
<laughs> yeah, I know. I know uh, Lindsay Lohan specifically is somebody that I thought of who used ayahuasca to get off of coke. She had a major cocaine addiction and went to have an ayahuasca experience, got back and was just like, yeah, I don't even want to, I'm not even genuinely interested in that drug anymore. So wow, a, a powerful thing. It um, definitely can be. I, I, you know, another disclaimer, like th these are powerful drugs. Not everybody has a moving great experience on them. And even if you do have a life transforming experience, like it's going to be painful in there uh, most likely. So just, you know, to everyone listening, just be a little cautious. So for folks who don't want to do drugs, uh, <laughs> yeah. there's uh, something that uh, we went to not too long ago that's kind of cool. And it, it felt like they were kind of working small miracles by the end of it is neuro-linguistic programming that kind of deals with like the subconscious mind. And so here in a few months, I'm going to go get uh, certified a, a master practitioner of that to be able to do like hypnosis and things like that. And then uh, something I was thinking of when you were talking about genetics, you're like, I don't know how much of it's genetic. Well, um, there was a guy who went up on the 10X growth conference stage and explained how uh, the genes specifically won't give you disease. What will give you disease is a gene mutation that you inherited from your parents. And so I have two gene mutations that uh, I inherited from both parents that specifically affect my upper gut. So like uh, thyroid issues, upper gut, and then short temper. And uh, there's uh, a spread of these different, uh, they, they only test like five or six genes. They try to make it simpler for like the average person to understand. But you can get that gene test done just by doing like a mouth swab, like a cheek swab, and then sending your DNA in. Then they send it back to you and they give you dietary recommendations. Like, for instance, people have like the MTHFR gene. You can type in vitamin B12 mutation and it'll show you that uh, there's 30 percent of the population that can't make use of folic acid or B12. So even though it's in all of our food, they aren't getting the essential uh uh, raw materials that their body needs because their body can't process it. So I supplement daily with like five MTHFR. I, I can't remember what it's called, but it's a broken down form with all the enzymes necessary for my body to process what would have been B12 broken down, broken down, broken down. I already got the broken down form and I supplement with that daily because my body doesn't produce the raw materials it needs to create that. So you know, when you think of things like Sam E, like I know you probably looked at Sam E, probably looked at like, you know, uh, some of the amino acids like uh, tryptophan and things like that. The processes that occur in our body naturally, if you have a gene mutation, some of those are kinked, like some of those are messed up and it's creating dysfunction in your body. So on the biology side, I'd recommend people go to 10x health get the gene mutation test, start supplementing with that stuff that they tell you that. You're yeah, that's it. That's very interesting. Um, the body is so complex, right? And I think it's, it is important to like, I always think about it. Like the body is almost a black box at this point. It's like, we don't even know what's going on inside. And yet, like with some simple tests, you would think that we could radically change our lives. Or it's like, if your body can't process, you know, B12 or something, it's like, that's, that's pretty bad. Uh, like, 
do a test and, and find a solution. Um, it's, it's very intriguing stuff. I think, you know, on the mental health side, right there, there are probably amino acids and whatnot that come into, uh, into play where it's like, maybe we aren't getting those as well. And even just vitamin deficiencies and whatnot, there's some literature around, you know, vitamin D and fish oils, omega threes and stuff like that. So definitely important to get a comprehensive holistic, uh, uh, view of your own body, know yourself and work with your doctors to figure out, you know, how do you find optimal functioning for sure. And something that Dakota started implementing here in our office is uh, every morning, uh, the folks that are in here do uh, the five minute journal, which is just a gratitude, mostly gratitude, um, some affirmations, things like that. It's just like a simple way to start the day and create culture of like having a positive, like positive perspective. Um, and then, you know, of course, uh, meditation is helpful for some folks as well. I think Headspace probably has the best intro that I've seen as far as like, if you've never done it before, you go to them, they give you some really good graphics and some really good explanations of like how to get started and how not to judge yourself so harshly when you, <laughs> when you lose focus. Definitely. Yeah. There's so many good tools out there. And I think, you know, like sort of a shameless plug, but it's like, you know, one of the things that I, I talk about in with my brand and with my content is like, we're trying to create a mental health toolkit. That means different strategies, different tactics, vitamins, exercises, practices that we can sort of put in a metaphorical bucket for ourselves and then pull out when we feel as though we need to use them and they will be beneficial for us. Um, so it's sort of like my way of saying like, not everything works for every single person. Uh, and that's why it's important to get a tailored custom solution. Uh, and when I say get, I mean like cultivate it ourselves, right? Uh, and then whatever those things are, we we practice them, we take them, we utilize them. Uh, really important. It's it's sort of the create your own playbook for, for your life and your mental health, you know? Well, uh, usually toward the end of the podcast, we have... Uh a deep question. So we're going to get real deep real quick. <laughs> we didn't get deep enough yet. <laughs> <laughs> you're, uh, we're, we're assuming that you're going to live until you're a hundred. So you're a hundred years old. You're on your deathbed. You have a final message to the world. It's your legacy. So it could be on a billboard. It could be a sentence, a paragraph, a mantra. It's something that's meaningful to you that you feel that the world needs to hear. What is your final message, your legacy? Man, that is a hard one. That is real hard. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna risk sounding like I'm just rambling, uh, but something to the tune of like, be a good person. You know, follow your heart. Uh, persist persist through difficulty and give it help. Something like that. Awesome. I like it. Well, uh, how can uh, our viewers get a hold of you? Get your book. Um, listen to your podcasts. Yeah. Uh, best place would be getoutofyourhead.com. That's my website. Uh, that URL is all one word. So no dashes, no spaces on that. Uh, on social media right now, I tend to be most active on Instagram. The handle is get out of your head. Uh, you can find my books on most of the major retailers. Amazon is probably the main place that you you would want to go to get a paperback copy. There is another book of the same name that causes some confusion. Um, so it can be easier to either go through my website, then to Amazon. I've got some links there, or you could go on Amazon and type in my name. Um, but yeah, those are the uh, good places there. I will also throw another shameless plug in on my website. If you want to grab some get out of your head merch, I've got some t-shirts with the snake brain on it. Um, those can be fun for people. So awesome. Love it, man. Well, any final thoughts for our viewers before we 
bug off? I, I usually end and just say like, you know, whatever you're going through, you're not alone. Please reach out. Um, if you want to, you know, have a conversation with me, share your story. Uh, it's a fulfilling part of this process just to be able to connect with people. And uh, yeah, you know, my heart goes out to folks who are, who are in the throes of it right now um, for, for whatever reason, it's, it's, it's not easy. So. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on. And uh, yeah, man, we appreciate you. And we appreciate you sharing all this great advice. Honestly, I think it was really, really good advice. And hopefully people go and read their book if they're struggling with anything. And then they can go through all of your different tactics, because that feels like we only went through like two of them. <laughs> and those are yeah. already awesome. So cool. Well, I really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me. And it was a great conversation. Yes, sir. See you, bro. Thanks, bro. Bye.